Who is Jesus? What is he doing? And what does it mean to follow him in the world today? My name is Matt Lewis. This is the Follower Podcast, and everyone is invited to the conversation. Welcome to mountain number five. I've called this one a space, which is choosing simplicity at the mountain of excess. Uh, now to give you some picture of what was happening when I kind of learned this lesson or faced this mountain, I was in the, the village of Taplejong. Taplejong was uh, this village up in the mountains, which uh, we had been in for a while. And one of the things that really struck me about my time with, in Taplejong was the nature of the way of living there. Very simple way of living. I, I remember the, one of the first mornings we woke up there, we woke up to the sound of chickens. So roosters crowing, and not just one, but pretty much every village has a rooster. And we are in the Himalayan mountains where there are villages upon villages upon villages. And so it's not just one uh, rooster crowing, there's crowing happening all throughout the valley, kind of echoing off the walls, if you will. And so you wake up to the sound of roosters crowing. Then you get out of bed and you kind of get, got to get yourself warm because it's freezing cold up in the mountains. And so uh, anything you weren't wearing while you were sleeping, you put on. Then you make your way out of the place we were staying. We were sleeping on the floor of a church, actually. Uh, it was a cool disco church. It had weird lights going on. It was a great experience, though. And so you make yourself way out in the morning and you kind of walk this dusty path. And then you walk down another path and you, you make your way to the communal fireplace and so the guys who were hosting us there, the people who call that village home, they had already made a fire to get the water boiling in the morning. And uh, they're kind of sitting around the fire. And I remember I would sit with them some mornings. I couldn't really understand the language, but I would just sit there. And they, they were so affectionate, such incredible guys. They'd give me a tap on the leg and they would laugh and give me a hug just to make sure that I knew I was included. Even though I didn't understand anything that was going on. Um, and then we would slowly kind of wake up and everyone would wake up. And then we would make some food and have some breakfast. And by this time, it's like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. And so we start getting ready then to, to have our, our day and we start making our plans and we leave. And we go out and do work in the village and then come back. And then it's a slower day and a lot of our time gets spent making, helping prepare things for the next day or uh, you know, after meals, we're washing some dishes by hand or we're washing our clothes and at the public washing space. So there's like a tap that's outside every the, the house and then number of houses use that same tap. So you're meeting your neighbors while you're washing clothes. And man, it's just such a different way of living. If I compare that to my life in the city of Johannesburg, where you wake up at 6.30, you're out the door by 7, you, you got to get to gym before work, or you got to drive in, your, in the traffic. And then if you get to work on time, it's kind of a high five and a hello to the people who share your cubicle, or your office space. And then you straight into emails, phone calls, productivity, getting as much done by 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the evening so that you can get back in traffic, drive back home and be with your family and, and maybe your kids are already at sleep, asleep, maybe your, your wife or your husband is too tired to chat to, or if you're a university student, you've, you've done all that, you've gone through lectures, you've maybe had some time with your friends, but then it's assignments and it's 
uh, more stuff to be done or if you're in high school it's homework you know and we just live in at least in my version of reality so quickly and our time is so full and in the midst of that when we were back in the village the other thing that really contrasted with this reality was the fact that we had no cell phones because we had no signal right and so you could take pictures uh, I guess, and, and maybe you could read something if you had it on your phone. But in reality, we had no signal and no access to the outside world for two weeks while we were in these mountain villages. And I think about what it's like to be, again, back in my own context, where, where my phone is an extension of myself, right? And I always have access to the internet and I'm always reading things and watching things and, and, and what's the latest news and what's happening on Instagram and what's happening on Facebook, now, I've got to be honest, the first couple of days in Tupperjong really frustrated me. It was so slow. We seemed to be spending so much time talking, <laughs> just talking, hanging around, laughing about stuff, being, just being in one place, slowly getting ready to do something else. The amount of activities we could fit into one day were limited. We could maybe do one or two things, you know. And so I, I, at first it frustrated me, but then the, the more... We kind of spend time in that space the more I started to love it and I started to realize that this different way of living in the world was creating space in me uh, it, it was starting to turn down the noise and the volume of everything else and in some ways turn up the volume on God's voice in my life and I started to realize that this space was actually a gift and I started to realize that that many of the things that I found incredibly valuable simply weren't valuable here. And the thing that, that was really, really valuable in this context, in Taplejong, was people. People mattered. So much so that, you know, when we went for a hike the one day, and I remember we were walking through the villages and I was feeling terrible, and we came across this person's home who had no idea who we were, didn't know us from Bar of Soap, nothing. And uh, so these strangers walk into, into her house and into her garden, and her response is to ask us to sit down and then to make us cups of tea and to give us something to eat. And, and I just thought, man, what would, happen if, <laughs> what would happen if someone just walked through your garden today? You know, at least the place that I come from, we're, ca we're calling the cops. We're calling the police. We're getting that person out as quickly as possible. Because I, I think, you know, in the developed world, our development has cost us so much. I think about times when I've been in London or been in places like Bangkok or been in other crowded cities and big developed kind of first world spaces. I think about sitting on subways and sitting on trains and we're all in these places together but headphones in and completely disconnected from one another. And then I, I think about this experience in the villages and how the space, uh, the simplicity made room for connection. And I think we live in this world of excess, right? Um, more, 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 and not just more, but now. We can order it now and have it tomorrow, right? And we live in this place where we feel like we have the right to have an opportunity to have everything. A friend of mine once, once told me that um, the excess of option is the root of all restlessness. Yeah? And so we look at our society and, man, we are frazzled as people. We're so anxious as people. And I think part of the reason is because we just have this excess of choice. Nothing's off limits for us. We can do whatever we want, have whatever we want, whenever we want it. And it's almost as if, you know, we talk about it all the time, but this fear of missing out. We feel like we are obliged to consume, to take, to have. And yet in those two weeks, 
I, I was not connected to the world. I didn't have an opportunity to have everything at all times. What I had was what was in front of me in the moment. And I didn't feel poorer for it. I felt richer for it. And I, and I think about what Jesus shows us in his life where, you know, he's in the midst of the crowd. Uh, I mean, he's doing incredible things. He's, he's drawing a fan base, if you will. The man's got a lot of followers. And in those moments, I would imagine that his options are wide open. And yet in those moments, he chooses less. He doesn't choose more. He, he pulls away from the crowd. He simplifies his life. He empties out his options, right? I wonder what it would look like for us to choose that same thing. I think about Elijah and his story and how after this incredible victory on the, uh, with the prophets of Baal on the mountain, he then goes through this journey in the desert and ultimately ends up meeting God on a mountain and goes not in the wind and not in the fire, but in the still small voice. And I just wonder if maybe at this time God is trying to speak to so many of us through the still small voice, but we're not hearing it because we're distracted by the wind and the fire and the hurricanes, you know. And, and I don't think this is only true uh, in a secular world, if you will, although I'm not even sure that divide exists, but if, in the world out there, I think we've got to take a long, hard look at, at, as a, at ourselves as followers of Jesus and ask ourselves, is this true for the world in here? For this world that we call Christian, have we in some ways been uh, become accustomed to a, a world of excess when in reality Jesus is calling us to space to simplicity the old-fashioned word for it is the discipline of frugality right what does it mean what does it look like to say no to something when you have the option of having it for no other reason than creating space in your life for what truly matters and i think about the way we we do our ministry right like how much space is in our ministry practice as an example if you're someone who ministers in a church or you're someone who runs a youth group or does something like that when you gather people and when people come together to, to know Jesus, uh, how, how much space exists there? Or, or do people come into a time, is there a song and an introduction, and then we just move from one thing to the next, jam-packing the experience so that people never have to deal with the dif- discomfort of boredom, right? And, and when we're doing that, are we maybe cultivating an, an unhealthy spirituality that is dependent on stimulus the entire time? You know, uh, there's this book where John Ortberg is writing and he, he talks about a conversation he has with Dallas Willard. And he says to Dallas, Dallas, if we want to grow in relationship with God, what's the one thing that we have to do? And Dallas's response is to say, you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Mark Comer has actually recently brought out a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in it, he talks about this idea. And I think he's spot on, man. I think that hurry sickness may be one of the most profound things that the enemy is using in this generation to stop us from fulfilling the purposes of God in our lives. You know, we've heard so much about um, money, sex, and power and how those have been the vices historically uh, in our age and, and, and things that get in the way of us knowing Jesus. But what if the vice of our time is not, it's not that it's not money, sex, and power, but what if the strongest vice of our time is distraction what if the thing that the enemy is stealing is our attention our ability to focus on this present moment and hear what the father is doing and then respond to that and what if the reason that we can't pay attention what if the reason that this tactic of the enemy of stealing our attention and our focus is because our lives are so filled with excess 
because we think that we have to take every opportunity, seize every moment, run toward everything, keep going for the bigger, the better, the upgrade, the more, the now. And, and how, how countercultural and, and profoundly prophetic would it be to make a decision that we will be a people of less in a culture of more, that we will be a, a people of simplicity in a culture of excess. I don't know how this lands for you. And I know there's all kinds of implications. And I know that this looks different for different people. All I'm saying is that the Lord had to take me away to, to a village in the Himalayas for two weeks to realize that there was a kind of anxious background noise buzzing in the foundation of my life that in so many ways was drowning out His voice. And when He was able to turn that down, man, the, the way His voice became clear, his presence became strong. The people in front of me became the treasure and the prize. It's hard to really describe, but it was profound. And I guess the invitation for you and for me is, how do we learn from the life of Jesus and then step into that same pattern? How, in the face of a crowd, do we learn to draw away? How, how do we prioritize that? And how do we build our lives and, and orchestrate our existence on this planet in such a way that when the small voices speaking we can hear it because i think that people who learn to pay attention people who are no longer enslaved to the screens in front of them in their hand people who no longer have to uh, succumb to the call of their ego and press into everything that might give them notoriety or acclaim in the eyes of the world people who are able to shut that stuff down and really cho choose to hone in on that one voice to make enough space in our lives by rejecting excess and embracing simplicity to connect with the voice of god who gives our lives meaning in the first place i think people who who will be able to make that decision Man, those are people who are profoundly going to live kingdom in this next generation. Have a little experiment. Next time you're in a public space, just look around the room. And in a moment of waiting, just see how many people are on their phones or on a laptop, right? We don't know how to be unless there's something filling the space. We don't know what to do with boredom. And I think it's killing us. And so I would imagine that in a world that's offering us excess after excess after excess, maybe one of the things that Jesus is really inviting us into is a life that says yes to simplicity.